Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Lean Enterprise Institute's podcast, WLAI. I'm executive producer Josh Raposa. So what I've learned from producing Season 1 is that a good podcast can come from pretty much anywhere. Uh, a good example of uh, where it can come from anywhere is uh, today's podcast with Scott Hayden and John Shook. I first met Scott Hayden several years ago at the Lean Transformation Summit, where Scott, uh, who was with Starbucks at the time, gave an incredible uh, keynote talk there. So in July, at the Lean Coaching Summit in Seattle, we had a last-minute cancellation. So LEI Chairman John Shook and Scott Hayden stepped up and gave a great talk on coaching at the Gemba. Uh, to me, that felt like a great podcast. I'm not a huge fan of using Japanese terms, uh, particularly in Lean Talk. I'd rather just, you know... Uh, get down to the bottom of it. Um, so for those out there who are not familiar with what the Gemba is, uh, the Gemba is often referred to as where the work is done or where the value is created. It's usually, you know, the front line uh, where the workers are. So here it is, Scott Hayden and John Shook talking about coaching at the Gemba. So uh, I know John doesn't need an introduction, uh, you but, introdu- I, but you I, introduced probably, me earlier, I already introduced right? you, yes. So I can introduce Scott. Oh, no, 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 no. So uh, <laughs> almost 15, 15 years ago, uh, I had a chance to meet the vice president of strategy for uh, Starbucks. And that was pretty interesting. And 15 years ago, really, I didn't. And I don't think many people had a whole lot of experience in doing lean stuff uh, in a lot of different environments, right? It was out of cars, and we had gone from cars to airplanes to making, you know, stuff like this or what have you. But uh, it was just, there were a lot of questions coming up, you know, about administrative work, managerial work, uh, hospital work, uh, healthcare, different things. Um, and then uh, and then all of a sudden, Starbucks. Well, okay, that sounds interesting. Uh, and, of course, my first thought was, uh, okay, supply chain. You know, how do <laughs> you move stuff around, which is kind of what you do. Just, you know, that's no different from, you know, making this or whatever. And it turns out as uh, I, I, it, was, it was one of uh, my best learning experiences. I mean, going back to my earliest learning experience, talked about this morning with Mr. Yoshino and Toyota and Numi and all that. Uh, the next one in line for me, I think, really was, was at, at, at Starbucks working with Scott. Scott, as the VP, as, as the vice president, as Howard Schultz's strategy guy, yeah. had recognized that, okay, Starbucks is a funny company. You know the company well here in Seattle. And uh, they, wanted, they wanted to grow like crazy, but they also wanted to have what they thought was this great customer experience, you know, the, uh, the, the, the third place, they call it, where people could go there and not only get, you know, a good a cup of coffee, uh, but have a place to be. So they wanted that experience. Uh, but they wanted to grow. And so by wanting to do those two things together, okay, that, that gave them an interesting challenge. If you wanted to grow like McDonald's, it's easy enough. And there's nothing wrong with McDonald's, but that's totally cookie cutter. All exactly the same, simple menu, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, but, uh, but Scott and, and, and the Starbucks team realized they didn't want that. They wanted, they wanted to maintain something that had a lot more customization. You can walk in and incredibly complex menu. Uh, actually, you can order so many things, and then you can you can customize it. You know, add another shot. You can do this, do that. Uh, and they didn't want to take that away. And also, it's really different, as as I learned along the way. Uh, a Starbucks store that's above a subway station in Chicago, versus uh, a Starbucks that's in a small town in Texas. It's a really different thing. What people want, the experience they want, et cetera, et cetera. 
So Starbucks, so, so uh, Scott looked at this uh, challenge and then, through, and then along the way discovered lean, lean thinking, lean practice, and said this is the way we can do both. Uh, and then really brought in lean and allowed me to get involved as a way of recognizing that you don't separate strategy as some grand strategy with the way you do stuff, the way you execute, you put those together. And so uh, that was Scott's insight. Uh, I think it was to uh, Starbucks' great benefit, uh, but mine too, to be able to work then t together. We learned a lot of you know, pretty cool stuff there a number of years. So that's okay. Scott. That's, <laughs> that's me. Yeah. So and, and just to be clear, I left Starbucks in 2011, so I'm not there anymore. But uh, it was a phenomenal experience, as John said. A lot, lot to learn. We, we learned a lot. Yeah, I, I learned a lot. In terms of what we did do wasn't so much the obvious supply chain stuff, right? Yes. How you move stuff around, yes. right? So you grow coffee beans in a plantation and you do whatever you do, to, you know, the various things to coffee beans and finally it goes to a store. We didn't do so much of that a little bit. It was other things like, right. like how a store works. You how know, a store with, operates, yes. Yeah, how a store yeah. operates. With, uh, yes. You know, customer walks in and they want X, Y, Z and then you have a queue and uh, you're a Starbucks barista dealing with uh, having to make something and someone with a crazy order and the queue gets longer. Yes. Uh, and, and what do you do? So that's what actually we chose to deal with, which was a great, just great learning experience. Great learning experience. And it turns out it's not a unique set of problems, right? Any restaurant, any kind of retail operation has a lot of the same, but different. Every situation is different, but a lot of the similar challenges. Similar challenges. Also, there are some similar challenges, challenges with uh, healthcare. Yes. Right? In yes. terms of who's going to walk in, what are they going to need, what, what are they going to want. Yes. By the way, totally random. But one of the things I found is that uh, most work at the end of the day, I'll make, I'll make a contradiction again, is amazingly the same. The challenges are amazingly the same. But every single incident, it truly is specific. And that's why we have to just not take a cookie cutter approach ever, I don't think. And you apply the thinking, the practices to that specific situation. But one of the things that is a little bit of a characteristic in terms of different types of work, whenever something is customer facing, you know, so I, we had to show the photos of me building a car in a factory. And the customer is really, really far away uh, in many ways, right? Just physically, geographically, they could be on the other side of the world. But also time and space and, and, and work, there are many steps between me and, the, and a final customer. And so we think, okay, my next worker on the line is my customer, and that's okay. But that's not the same as a customer walking in right in front of you. Uh, and saying, no, I didn't want that, I wanted this, and could you make this a little harder, please? Yes, yes. <laughs> so direct customer facing, I think, is a, is a slightly you know, different environment. All these things still apply, but it's just that that does require maybe a little bit of characteristic um, approach. Yes, that used to be one of the questions I got a lot. This works for a car company, we get it. We're a coffee company. We're a retail coffee company. Yeah, now the and one thing there is we say car company. A car companies also have customers. So yes. there is someone out there dealing with a customer, uh, fixing your brakes when it doesn't, you know, they didn't get fixed right. So the car company, one thing, great thing about the automobile industry, it has everything. You've got up front, up, way upstream, really complex R&D, uh, and you have this amazing integration. At the end of it all then, you've got a customer walking in who, you know, isn't happy with the little rattle that's in the window when he thought he bought a, you know, $60,000 lecture list that should be perfect. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so a little context okay. here for uh, our discussion Completely today. Um, uh, as I said, uh, I think yesterday we had a, a last minute cancellation. Um, and so we had a couple options. And uh, 
unrelated, um, with a smaller group of people, I had asked John to, uh, as, as part of his trip to Seattle, to spend a little time with us to talk about um, what, what, is the pro what is your process of going to the Gemba? What do you think about? What do people ask you to do? How do you think about uh, that kind of activity? And that was, that was actually initiated by a really good conversation I had with a couple people uh, and their thoughts and thinking about different approaches of going to a Gemba and really wondering, like, geez, I, want, you know, I haven't thought about this deeply until I've started doing it, and now I'm starting to wonder. And so we had this really small session um, in a, a local uh, supermarket uh, here in Seattle. And uh, we felt like it was something that was worthy of sharing and trying again. But we also both have a, uh, a bit of a consternation, which is how can you really talk about a Gemba in a conference room? <laughs> uh, and Real the, consternation about that. And, and it's hard. It's hard. Misgivings, yes. And so we're going to try as best we can on kind of short notice to maybe create some learning here, but uh, just know that in a perfect world, we would never think about doing this in a conference room. Uh, we would do it at a Gemba. So is that a good way to start? And in fact, uh, we have, uh, so on Monday, it's been a packed-filled week. On Monday, we offered a class managing to learn at the Gemba, and that included actually going to a Gemba. It's Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. You're right. So Monday. Tuesday. It's been I a got, crazy week. It's so Monday, I got off the plane. We went straight to the, uh, the food co-op, right? Straight, straight to the, the co-op. Yes. And you think about it, right? So even Starbucks, I mean, it's a grocery store. You'd retail. I mean, you know, there's a process there. There are things happening. Right. So how do you bring lean eyes to that? It's, a, right. it's a little there's, different. There's replenishment. There's production. They, they have it all. They yeah. have all those things going on there. So we did that Monday. That's right. Uh, and then Tuesday, you did a class. We did a me. class managing to learn at the Gemba, and we went to uh, two restaurants uh, here in Seattle, and we watched some work several times. Um, and I think we learned a lot about what does that mean to watch work. So uh, to uh, not do it justice, but to uh, just try to put us in the frame of mind of watching work. This is a, a short, short, super short video wait, clip. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, sorry, sorry, so, sorry, so sorry. More, more context. <laughs> so what's going on? So uh, it's a view of a Gemba. Yes. What, what, what more could, should, we, should we say? It's, it's a restaurant, right? Restaurant uh, producing uh, what they call wok fried bowls. So these are ingredients that uh, you pick out on the line. Uh, they put it into a bowl, the raw ingredients. And then at some point, those get dumped into a wok, heated fairly quickly, and delivered. They have a standard of um, a customer experience, five-minute customer experience from the moment they first interact with their team member of taking the order to when they get their food. That's their standard. So we're going to walk in, right? So we're going to walk in. We're going to walk in. And, and watch. See a little gimba. See the gimba. See some of the work. See some of the customers. Yes? <laughs> okay. So, uh, John, um, you taught me a long time ago. We were sitting in a uh, Starbucks store in um, Ann Arbor. Uh, and I, at the time, was planning for an executive learning session at one of Starbucks roasting plants. And I had a, a plan and a set of activities. 
and, and your question to me was, what's your purpose at the time? And that threw me, because I didn't really understand what you were saying. Uh, but through that experience, uh, you taught me uh, that understanding and thinking about, being very thoughtful and deliberate about purpose, um, is helpful before you kind of rush into anything. And so when you're invited to go see, or when you think about other leaders that may be going to Agemba to, to see, um, what is your purpose and what are you trying to achieve? So, um, first of all, I guess I would re emphasize, I guess, what I said then, which is I think uh, if the topic of, of, of this session is going to the Gemba, uh, basically I think we sh you should always have a purpose when you go. You should always think of the purpose. You don't just go. So uh, it should be some kind of objective, hopefully a plan even. And again, the plan may, may unfold differently than, mm -hmm. than, than, mm -hmm. than, uh, than expected, but you've got a purpose for going. And the clearer you are in that, uh, the better you can execute it, the more you can check and adjust, the more you can learn along the way, the more you can do it the next time, and the, more, and the, clo the better chance you'll have of achieving that objective, whatever it may have been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what might that purpose include for you? Is that, so one of the debates that, or debate, discussion I've had with uh, some folks is, is, it, is my purpose about teaching? Is my purpose about learning? Uh, what is my purpose about coming up with a bunch of solutions and at the at some point whether it's at the end of the walk or later just sharing all my ideas yeah 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 so first of all I think it's really good if you can be more specific than that right I mean we're gonna go somewhere uh, specifically <laughs> And it may be somewhere we're going to go back. It may be in an organization. Yeah. The more specific we can be in our objectives, the, the better. Right. right. Uh, but at a high level, uh, I, so I think this is important, actually. And I saw, I had an experience uh, recently with the, uh, a member of the board of a company that, that we know well. Um, and we were uh, kind of showing some improvement results that had happened mm -hmm. in operations. Mm -hmm. And out there, and they had done some thing, typical things, you know, they had reduced some lead time, they'd put some machines together, things were working, you know, better, they were kind of, that was good. Mm -hmm. And also they had out there some, uh, some easels where they were doing some problem solving, oh. where they were, you know, writing down some steps, okay, here's what's going on, here's, what, here's how we're working through the problem. Yeah. And so this board member, very smart, uh, very uh, charismatic, you yes. know, CEO of a different organization, he's on the board here, uh, immediately went into teach mode mm. because uh, he saw that their problem-solving steps, you know, were, were not perfect. Um, they were uh, pretty rudimentary. Um, and he knew that he could teach them a better way to do it. And he felt good about the fact that then he started teaching them. Mm. So here you have some, some folks there on a team and they've shown what they're doing, and a and, uh, little bit like what we were just hearing about, <laughs> you know, going and watching the janitorial services, yes. you know, and, and everything. A little bit like that, maybe. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're, be, they're being taught by someone who's coming in and who's... who's and, I, and it really... So I had a conversation. So, so that annoyed me a lot. 
<laughs> um, and we basically, I think, we don't, well, you need to be sure of your purpose. That's why you might go there sometimes to teach, right? You might know that there's teaching to be done. As the, we are coaches, we teach, that's fine, not necessarily wrong. Um, and you might need to actually go somewhere and fix something sometimes. If you're going there to fix, I think that's not what I would call a gimbal walk, per se, right? You're, that's mm. more, more purposeful. But need to be really clear. But in general, if, it's not, if, it's not, if, if, if you don't know that you need to go there to teach a certain thing because you've been before and you know they need that, that's your objective, then no. We're going there to learn. Absolutely going there to learn. And going there to learn what? You're going there to, we want to go there to learn what we need to know to understand how we might be able to help. I think that's really important. And then there may be ways to help, and that may include teaching, right? Yes. But that is not the assumption. You're going there to learn what the situation is, to grasp the situation. And from that, think, how can I help? The way I can help may be to get out of the way, never go back. It may be to, uh, you know, have a lunch with a board member and, you know, kick their butt. <laughs> it may be to see that there are some resources they need, including training on problem solving. Uh, it may be that they have, uh, you know, there's some equipment problems that keep re repeating and have repeated for years. It may be any number of those things, but we're going there to learn, purely to understand. And you can't figure out how you can help unless you understand what's going on there. So the first thing is, is completely to understand. So I'm not looking at this. I'm not thinking of how they need to do things differently or better or what have you. Try to understand what's going on. Uh, a little bit again, as we were hearing before, what was with the, with the cleaning staff. Mm. Yeah, so, 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 <laughs> so we're not going in and asking what barriers do you have uh, for a couple of reasons. One, one is then you, they might tell you your bar their barriers, and then what are you going to do? If, if they do, if you say, tell me your barriers, and they tell you their barriers, you've got something to deal with. <laughs> and that's a really important thing, um, to not then walk away and just uh, leave that as a, you know, something there on the table. So we're going to learn, and, and we're asking them to teach us to share. Yes. Uh, we're the guest, right? And I think that's... So the first rule of thumb, I think, is you go in, you're thinking, you do no harm, do no harm. Mm -hmm. And it's possible to do to do harm, mm -hmm. right? Again, even asking what your barrier, what are your barriers, and they tell you something that that is just going to open up a can. <laughs> uh, yeah. Their barrier is that they don't have enough, you know, have enough people. Their barrier is that they, you know, the equipment is old. Their barrier is that their boss gives them crazy objectives. You know, anyway, whatever someone thinks their barriers are, it's just going to give you something to. Now, it doesn't mean you never have that conversation, right? But basically, again, you want to go there and just see how things are going, see what their struggles are, uh, and from that, think about what you need to do to help. Does that make sense? That make sense? Well, and just learn, right? So go there to learn. Especially a situation. Go there to learn, to understand, first of all. Turn that into what you might need to do to help, which yes. may be nothing. Yes. But especially for new environments. I know when I go, I mean, I, I don't know anything about what a situation might be let alone the operational environment. Like, even if I were to go into a Starbucks across the street, I really don't know what's going on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And for, for me, that's the first thing I, I want to just understand. Yes. 
uh, how it's working before I can get into any other kind of analysis, what needs to be done, what, or, or what the problems are, what happens. And I personally approach it from the standpoint of, of uh, just technically. Hmm. Okay, we used to have a thing that I, I learned going back uh, many years ago. So I went, another teacher I had at Toyota, we started something called the Toyota Supplier Support Center, TSSC, like teaches, shares TPS throughout, you know, North America. That was yes. our objective. Yes. And uh, my boss mentor there was really, really good at going to the gimbal and sizing things up. <laughs> and uh, I was, so in the beginning, I was, he was a general manager. I was a deputy general manager. And we would go to these, these uh, factories. And by that time, I'd been around Toyota, you know, 10 years. I had taught, you know, TPS. I had taught standardized work. Uh, I knew a thing or two. And we would go in these places, not unlike a Starbucks store like this. Yes. And, or, or a really pretty, pretty complex factory. And he would size that thing up in no time. Hmm. We'd walk through, he'd look around, look around, look here, <laughs> there, you know, and then you go into a little conference room with a whiteboard and he'd write up some stuff of, of the way it worked and the way it could work. Uh -huh. And uh, I felt good vicariously, right? I'm part of this team going in and yeah, we're really good. Yeah. You know, we're experts. We, you know, we're going to show you how to make this thing rock and roll. But it, it, after a few times, I, I, it, it started to bother. It should have bothered me sooner. But after a few times, it started to bother me. I said, I realized I couldn't do that. I could not do what he was doing. And, uh, and then I started to challenge myself a bit, and I just still couldn't do it. And so finally, is after going to a factory in, uh, in West Virginia, of all places, in the middle of nowhere, and he had pulled his trick again on the way in the way out. You know, just me and him. We did this a, a lot, you know. And so I'm the driver, and we're driving back to this little airport. I go, so how do you do that? <laughs> and he goes, how do you do what? I said, what's the trick? And he goes, what? I said, well, we do this, you know. And, and it's, it, it, it pushed me to make my question a little bit better. And finally, I said, what do you look for? I said, what do you look for? Yes. And what he said to me for a typical thing was, oh, John, what do you look for? <laughs> and so I started thinking about what do I look for? <laughs> and that actually sent me on a bit of a journey to think about how can you walk into, into it, 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 to try to understand flow, yes. how the things actually flow, flow. through this. Yes. Also to ask a question, what's the basic concept of this place? Mm -hmm. So this is not trying to be either a Starbucks or a Michelin three-star you yes. know, dining experience. What's the value they're trying to create? What's the value that they're trying to create? What is the basic concept of this thing? Yep. And then how well are they meeting that concept? Because mm -hmm. my concept doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And if I try to judge them against a three, three Michelin star restaurant or a Starbucks, it's right. just going to be bizarre. That's right. So how are they versus what they're trying to be? So what are they trying to be? And what are they trying to be then means really there's just a purely technical aspect to work. So I've come to fully, I mean, I think all work is, I think, equally social and technical. And uh, when I say equally, I really mean equally. So I bet out of the 200 people that are here today, I bet we have more of a social conscious crowd. Mm -hmm. And I bet it's a little bit more of, well, it's all about the people. The social side is more important. I think they're equally important. Because we're people, yes, but we come together to do a technical thing every day. That's why we gather together. We don't gather together because we love each other. We didn't start that way. We gather together because we get a paycheck to do something. And that's a, when I say technical, I just mean mechanically doing some kind of work. The details of the work. The details of the work. So someone comes behind a bar, or someone comes in and orders a coffee, and I'm supposed to take that order, and then I know how to turn that into what they need. That, that's yes. the essence of why we get together every day. Yes. So I want to understand that. 
And then I understand the social part in that context. Because mm -hmm. without that context, you know, we're, we're not coming together to have a concert or to do what I do with the family or to do what I do with my friends. It's in a work context. Mm -hmm. So what I'm looking for, so what do I look for yes. then is how the work flows. What is the essence of the work, which is to get some kind of a, a combination of material, a thing, and, a, and, a, and an information that tells mm -hmm. what that's going to be. And by the thing, I mean it could be a service. And then there's going to be some trigger of what sort of value needs to be created, and I'm going to convert whatever I need to into, into that value. How does that happen? And how do I, as the owner of the concept of this thing, how do I want that to happen? How could it best happen? So that's what I want to try to understand first. Does that make sense? In both a it, micro as well as a, a macro flow perspective. So I want to understand it. Uh, that's right, o overall. And, and it's part of the overall understanding. Um, sometimes it, I, I, what I like to do is think overall first. Mm -hmm. Really quickly, though. In other words, this is not a Starbucks or a three-star restaurant. Right. This is something you know different. Yes. Roughly, what is it trying to do? Is it a non-profit uh, no. uh, food bank? Or is it a for-profit making thing? Is it a family restaurant they never want to grow again? They just have one, and all they want to do is be good for generations? For yeah. their, or is it something that wants to grow, make a 1,000 of them? Mm -hmm. I just want to know that, high level. Then I like to dive into the detail. Really, the more detail, the better, right? Yes. Just, just micro observation. Just how, how is it happening? How, so yeah. So she's reaching over there. How, how does that happen? Why is she doing that? What's it? <laughs> what's gonna, what's gonna happen? What's gonna what's happen? What's the left next? hand doing? What's the right hand doing? What's the right hand doing? And what's she gonna do after she does that? You know, and and uh, that level of thing. So sometimes on gimbal walks, it's challenging to get people to let us look at that mm -hmm. enough because they want to show you. Mm -hmm. You know, something that's glitzy or maybe more overall, but you really want to dive down. And as you dive down, uh, and more and more, you're going to look for discrepancies between the way that's happening and that higher level purpose. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes? So you might entertain questions along the way. So yes, please. Okay. So I like that first question, and so my question is, what's the balance between asking people to help you answer that question about what's the value you're trying to deliver and how's it going versus purely observing? Uh, I don't know. I guess it's a good. It's a good. I guess it's a good mix. You want to do a, a bit of a bit of both. As far as asking them, I like to keep the questions, you know, pretty simple. Um, I don't like to. I don't like to talk about a lot of lean stuff. Um, I wouldn't even use the word even something that's lean-ish as batch. <laughs> Not in the very beginning. It's just that uh, okay, they've got a thing they're trying to do here, which is whatever it is. Process X number of people. This is a busy time. I think it's a great question. Um, and then how are you doing versus how are you doing? My favorite question really is just how's it going and how's it going, especially how's t today going? So it's a busy what time of the day and all, and all that. So, so, and then there's going to be some answer to how's the day going. And it's either going to be, again, they may kind of run away like this morning we heard about or this afternoon. <laughs> Everything's fine, thank you. <laughs> but that's why, again, you just keep it non-threatening and non, non, as, as open as possible. How is it going? How, okay, how is your day going? And then if you get any kind of halfway answer, then how do you know? <laughs> how do you know it's a good day or a bad day, or a good time or a bad day? And then you're off and running, right? And then you can start to back into things like, okay, well, you know, okay, it's not going well. Why not? We have all these uh, you know, people queued up. Uh, and then we all have all this food, you know, these, these batches of stuff sitting around and have all these people and all this stuff and somehow it's not coming together. And now you can talk about that. And again, I'd rather talk about that first 
than anything more vague and ethereal or social. I'm just how is that work happening? Oh, we got a queue of people. Uh, they need to give us money and get out, and we have all this food sitting here, and it's not matching up. Okay, let's understand. Now let's understand that more. So that kind of conversation, and you know, it depends on the. So I guess also more on your question because you never know what kind of questions come up. Some That's of the things right. you haven't ever thought about. I try to, and maybe after many years, and maybe people here, you know, but try to do both at the same time. I think a good challenge is we try to challenge ourselves to be good at this, better at this. Thinking about again, my 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 boss teacher. Um, you're really trying to soak up a lot, real fast, and you don't know how much time you're going to have. You don't know when you're going to miss something that was just a real key insight. And so you're doing some uh, talking and listening, and as you're listening, you're trying to take everything in. And so I like, you like to use all six senses, you know, the five plus one, and, uh, right? So you're going, so obviously go see, so we're looking, observing, but, um, you know, hearing and a place like this, smell and in touching things also matters. Uh, and then you get a sixth sense, right? As you can tell it's a little bit chaotic, right? Which I like as an observation, by the way, better than saying no structure. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because it's so, the more purely, purely observational we can be, yes. it, uh, the better. And it's hard to strip away. Using objective terms. Objective, yes, objectively just seeing what is what happening. Is there. Without even, you know, any sort of comparison to the way it should be. Yes. As soon as we start thinking about the way it should be, then we're, that means we're kind of looking to apply tools. Yes. You know, not intending to. Um, so when I see some batches there, yeah, I know, I know that that's going to be a sign, something's coming. I know there's a sign there. And then the, and that's okay, that's something you, you saw. But the, no, I try not to think in terms of noticing a lack of something. Um, that means my mind has made some kind of leap to what I think should be there. Definitionally, right? The fact that people are bumping into each other, they're running around and running around and, and you know, with, with, uh, seemingly without purpose. I mean, that's something I think I can kind of notice. And, and then structure, I, I, yes, there's a lot more structure that could be added to, to the work there for sure. But the more I can back up and be objective just about what I'm seeing. Sometimes it's a good thing to practice, to write it down that way, write down all your notes, and then go through later and see which ones were you kind of putting some interpretation in from the very beginning, as opposed to just what you saw. I was with a group trying to practice that a couple of years ago, and every observation was lack of standardized work. There's no standardized work. There's no this is, is no that. So, you know, you know there, was no, there was also no Empire State Building. <laughs> a lot of things that weren't there. What did we just see objectively as a factual, empirical thing? You know, trying to really be empiricist at that point. Now, then we're going to put our interpretation to it, right? What do we think that means? Uh, and then we're going to put some sort of analysis and conclusion around that. But uh, the more we can stay in that... Uh, that objective, purely observational zone, uh, the better, I think. To and learn. trying to do all that, it, 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 trying to do all that at once, I guess. So here, uh, just can I, just, yeah. just here. So we just walk through really quickly, yeah, but sometimes you don't know how much time you have, and sometimes we're just walking around in the world, and that's what you got, right? So then you have the question, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? <laughs> so, so let's say I observed kind of objectively, dispassionately, uh, then I put on it, my interpret, interpret, lean interpreting, interp, interpretation, interpretation. interpretation skills, right? 
And, and then, okay, I conclude some things maybe about what if I own the place, what I would do. But then you have the question, what do you do with that? Anyway, I think, and, and you, had a, you had your hand up a moment ago as well. Okay. You it's answered okay. it. Yeah, as you went through. As, as I rattled on, I kind of roughly hit what you What were you thinking about? Well, was, the, the barriers question, does it, does it pull into not only Pandora's box, but does it create assumptions? about what the problem is. It, it, it's by endorsed it creates yeah. assumptions. Uh, I, uh, so what I want to do then is dispassionately observe and, and think that I at least get a handle. I may be wrong, but think that I understand what's going on and what the quote problem is. Until I've done that, I don't want to get into it. Ne next thing I want to do, if, let's say I think I've figured out what the problem is. It's, you know, it's chaos and, and, and they're they're not so customers are walking, running, leaving because of the queue, uh, and I and I've sized some things up about what what I think the problem is. They got a total mismatch of capacity and demand, and they have horrible work. People are getting getting you know uh, overburdened. Yes. Then the next thing I want to do is I want to find out if they, my host, the person there, understands the problem. I don't presume that they do. In fact, I think it's useful to presume that they don't. I mean, not in a, you know not 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 trying to be disrespectful like they don't know their business. They're going to know their business in a million ways that I don't, but I'm going to presume they that they probably don't know the problem. And I think that's just a healthier place for, for me to be. So they don't actually know what the problem is. So they don't, they don't actually see the lack of structure. They don't actually see the batches for batches. Now they might, and as we have dialogue and they do, then great, okay, then we can have a different conversation. But in the beginning, I want to size it up and understand myself. Then I'm asking, do they understand what the problem is? So I think maybe that, that relates a little bit, Richard, to your, your question. We'll come back to that. I've got another question on that. Okay. Okay. So, question two. Um, question number two. Two. Yes. <laughs> you and I were walking through a roasting plant one day, and we were at the core kind of key value add activity, which is actually roasting the coffee. Uh, and you asked our host, who was with us that day, what her capacity in the plant was. And she kind of turned away, turned a little bit away from us to kind of ponder the question, I guess. And you very quickly, in an instant, leaned over, whispered in my ear some number, 162, <laughs> and then straightened up as if that had never happened. <laughs> and I was left there wondering what just happened. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've never experienced anything like that before. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, I don't know if this was intent as part of my question. That got me to start thinking. How did he come up with that number? Why did he ask the, the question if he already had an idea in his head? Um, so I guess I have a couple questions for you related to that experience, which I've reflected on quite a bit. Uh, one is, do you find yourself trying to kind of in your head calculate different things. I think one of, one of the jobs of leaders is to kind of try to balance as best we can demand with capacity. And I think at that moment, you were trying to figure out what the capacity was. Uh, is that common for you? And then if so, how do you go about doing that uh, and introducing whatever you're thinking, if at all? So the answer is yeah. I mean, I do think uh, you know, like like uh, uh, operationally, 
when we uh, lean thinking is applied to you know, operations of business, it's a matter of understanding capacity and demand. So I want to understand capacity and how capacity is relating to the, you know the current performance. Mm. And that was a roasting plant. Yes. It's all kind of like a factory. They got yep. these big coffee roasters, big giant things. Um, and it wasn't that hard to find out how long the cycle time, average cycle time of those, those were, yep. how long the changeover is, uh, how long they work, and then therefore, you know, how many batches they do, they do in a shift. That's right. So I did that. Back to your question, Tom. I was doing that in addition to talking and walking, looking around. Trying to get it, you, so if you can have a few minutes to observe cycle times, mm -hmm. uh, so in a factory or something, yeah, just being able to watch a worker for a couple of minutes, and, and, and then not with stopwatch, and you're just looking over and looking back, you're having a conversation, looking over, trying to watch, a, <laughs> and you're trying to just, just do it, because otherwise you poison the situation, right? Yes. As soon as you've yes. done something where people know the watch. So, but, and I'm only doing it so I can get an understanding of what the capacity is, and then I'm going to find a way then to compare that to what it needs to be and what the mismatch is. So I had done that. So it goes back. You're trying to learn for yourself. I'm You're trying, trying to, to learn for myself. Grasp the situation. No. And then when I asked her what the capacity is, it was to see, yes, does she, does she know what her capacity is? Has she ever thought of that? Yes. Does she think of that? Is that important to her, to her what she thinks about? And what we found out was? Uh, it wasn't on her radar. It I wasn't on her right. radar, right? right. She didn't really, didn't really know. She didn't know. Have to get back to you. And then I also think, I think, uh, so I'd forgotten about this interaction a couple of days ago. Scott brought it up. And it took a while to come back. You know, it was a long time ago. It was 13, 14 years ago. Yeah. And walking through a roasting plant. But I think you mentioned it. I think it's true. I do kind of remember that I also whispered to you, she doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, that was intended as a hint to you to the kind of multiple things we're trying to think about at the same time. And it wasn't saying anything bad about her as a person or as a plant right. manager, just that that's not on the radar screen. Right. And that's what we just found out. So we already knew what the capacity was, because you can tell by looking. Yes. But she didn't know. Right. And um, so that just tells us something. Yes. So now we learned something about the managerial mindset, you know, what, and what... Uh, but there's she, also, it turned out, more context for me to investigate there. So it turned out that uh, that actually wasn't her responsibility yeah. at, in the way the, in the way company was managed. Mm -hmm. yes. she, she was told what to produce, yes. and that's what she was responsible for doing. Yes, which is amazing. You're the plant manager, and, and, and that, that's taken away from you. That's right. What, can you, what do you manage then? Then you're just, you're just producing stuff you're told to produce. And, and so if, if I had, yeah. maybe I did, <laughs> jump to a conclusion of how can a plant manager not know their capacity, I would have kind of robbed myself of that additional learning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, why, mm -hmm. why is it mm -hmm. this plant manager doesn't know? So then there's a subsequent question just about what, what, what is she concerning herself with? How That's does, right. Back to the other thing about how does the broader system work? That's right. Right. And, right. And what do we own Yes. versus what we're just kind of being given to do uh, as a matter of compliance? So she was trying to comply with orders that were coming in. That's all. Yes. Right. Which I think is a big, you know, I'm going to jump ahead. This is not a gimbal. I think that's a big deal, too, actually. How, how we get out of compl the compliance world. So your compliance, you're complying with the tasks that are given versus owning an outcome. Mm -hmm. I think that's also a huge mm -hmm. factor that we try to then embody in the design of all work. So as we're looking at the micro levels of work, yes. we're thinking of how that work is designed. Yes. 
And again, not blaming anyone, but just understand how the work is designed. And we'd like to be designing work so that people have, can have ownership for some outcome, even if it's something as repetitive and mundane as, as working on an assembly line. Right? Yes. Responsibility for the outcome, not just doing certain tasks. And is that outcome clear? And is that outcome clear? Do they have control over it? What can they do with it? In this case, you have a plant manager, yeah. high-level position, a lot of responsibility, um, who, did, who really was just, her job was to comply with the tasks that were given to produce X amount every day of, of right. certain beans. And they were invariably, by the way, the wrong ones mm -hmm. uh, because the way the system was designed, right? Because of it was all big, giant batches. Wasn't matched up to customer demand, was it? Right, no. <laughs> no. That was one of the problems. The, and you even mentioned this uh, with Toyota, the, the plant is far away from the customer, so there's not, in, in that case, there wasn't a strong connection, either in information or in kind of just personal connection to the stores. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And then you did an experiment that, that, that created a connection. Even though we did. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, in, after a, a walk in the gamba, like the Starbucks example, uh, how it looks the... John Chooks, a book, notebook, it's like a diagram, taking notes and everything. Do you ever think about prepare for a future value stream and trying to grab that data, or you are not even thinking about value stream at all at that point, you just note some flow? How, how that so, so it's a question, how does he record what he's yeah. observing, yeah. or or, or what is he thinking about? Uh, how do you record what the kind of notes? It's just notes, it's like a diagram, flow, diagram. Okay. How do you how do you capture your thoughts? Okay, okay. So 2015, what is this? 2018. So some years ago, I did a lot of that, and then comparison, going back from my own notes, like even the whole thing of you know figuring out cycle times as you walk around, and thinking of how the whole thing you know could or should flow. So I did a whole lot of that. So taking those notes, comparing those notes, and thinking of, and thinking about what good flows versus better flows versus bad flows are. I don't do that so much anymore. Uh, I do advise people to do it. I think it's good, whether it looks kind of like a value stream map or a sketch or whatever it is. And, and, and again, even just writing down your notes so you can go and think about it. Even categorizing your notes, when was I being an objective observer versus kind of putting in some sort of a lean bias <laughs> or an ant or a mat, whatever bi that bias might be. So I used to do a lot of that. don't do so much anymore. I'm lazy now, I think. But, uh... but, but, but <laughs> so. So not long after, after that visit, uh, I'm, uh, you know, it was a long time ago, so I don't know, a month or two, um, t this notion of kind of uh, looking at micro detail of work, but then also kind of scaling up your vision. Uh, John presented for me a, a hand sketch that he had done on his laptop, I guess, pad, iPad, um, which was a picture. There was virtually no information on it, just a picture, a value stream map, if you will. Um, and it, it didn't, I was so new in my learning, it didn't dawn on me until years, probably at least a year later, that the picture he drew was identical to the pictures that many of you may have seen in, you know, traditional kind of current state you know, value stream maps with all the arrows going from central control down to all these different processes. And in Starbucks' case, that was suppliers, it was roasting plants, it was stores. Um, but at that moment in time, it didn't occur to me, but it was a window for me into 
him not just looking at, well, how are they doing roasting and how's that communicating to packaging? He is looking strategically. And that for me as a head of strategy <laughs> was kind of a big aha. Like this isn't this like secret science that only a handful of people that go to business school and go to some fancy consulting firm. In reality, actually, that's kind of <laughs> not, not super valuable. In reality is what's happening at the Gemba and how do we help things flow all the way from raw material to the customer. That was a big learning for me that I think was enabled by that go see to that roasting plant and some back rooms at Starbucks. Yeah, yes. Hey. So I had a question that sort of connects what you spoke about this morning, especially with respect to leading as if you have no power. Because mm. I come from a position of having literally no power. Yes. You know, I have sort of leadership position. Um, how do you see Gembo Walks going very based on how much power the person is who's doing the walk? Okay, that's so, a great question. I did not want to forget that today. It's really important. I think yes. going back to the first question of purpose. Yes. Okay, the first question that we have to ask ourselves is what is our role when we do these? And so it's easy for me to sometimes forget that I need to make really clear. Most of my gamble walks nowadays are in the, the role of, you know, be, being who I am. If I <laughs> own, if you own that, if you're the, if you're the, the, the direct supervisor of an area, an executive who has indirect ownership, if you're a peer, if you're a, you know, from a, from a central, coach, central Kaizen promotion office, those things really affect how you go. I think that basic uh, principle that I mentioned up front still applies. I think that overrides everything. You still want to do no harm. You still want to go through and make sure that you're learning. But also a big factor is, do you, are you going to be going back or not? <laughs> a lot of times I visit, like Monday, we went to this uh, food co-op, met the most wonderful, wonderful woman, Amanda. I mean, man, she was just great. And I, I'll never, probably never see her again. And that was the one chance, one opportunity to be able to understand uh, what she does, her work, to interact with her, to say, say a few things, and I'll probably never see her again. Uh, and that's different uh, in a lot of the cases, right, that, that you're going to have. And I think that's a big factor. And it, it means all the more that you need to be, it's, it's the more, you, I don't think you can be too purposeful in how you go. You need to be flexible when you get in there. But why am I going today? What am I going to try to accomplish today? Am I, again, if I'm the, from a Kaizen promotion office or I'm a boss or a peer, or whatever it is. I think it, does, I think it does change it. You still try to do no harm, and I think, you, uh, I think some of the basic principles apply, but I think it really is incumbent upon it. If I'm going to go back, so, so whether it's going in as I do now, and I'll never see Amanda again, and in this case, there was a lot of structure she could benefit from. I mean, she was superwoman. Man, she was so smart and knowledgeable in making this thing work. She was making so many decisions. Great. It was mind-boggling what, what, what she was doing, and she doesn't even know, because <laughs> that's just what she does. Um, and there's so many things that could be systematized about how they order stuff and how work is designed for all the different people. I mean, every day she's deciding to or looking at, you know, there's another woman actually that had, well, how many th kinds of cheeses did they oh, have? Thousands. 200, at least. Yeah. And uh, she's just looking at these cheeses and deciding how many to order. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then Amanda, was, she had this whole big de deli area, and she yeah. was deciding everyone's work every day, and she'd write up these work instructions, give them to everyone, eight hours worth of work. She's given to everyone. So you hear those things, you know there's a lot of opportunity there. You don't jump to what to do, but you know that her life could be made a lot better, and the work there could be made a lot better. 
So if you're going back there, if I knew I was going to go back, and um, then that's one thing, right, in terms of how to start some uh, relationship and where you can start building some sort of system. Uh, but either way, I think what's in my mind very much, kind of going back to Tom's question, I think Tom made me, realize, made me think that, you know, you think about a lot of things at, at once. And one of the things that's in my mind through the entire time, from the time I walk in, is I'm thinking, what am I, what's the last thing, what is the last thing I'm going to say? <laughs> How am I going to leave? And I'm thinking about that actually before I walk in the door, and I'm thinking about it as I get to know the person walking around, and then toward the end, I'm really thinking about that a lot. What's, what's the last thing, what's the last thing I'm going to say? So if, I, if I'm going to go back and I work as a Kaizen promotion person in the company, then okay, let's talk about next steps, you know, sure. or, do you, you know or what have you. Um, but what, at any rate, it's what's, what's the last thing you're going to say? That's a great question. I don't, I don't always, I don't know, you know. So are you sometimes, gonna, I'm kinda, sometimes I'm kind of sweaty. You know, okay, what's the last thing I'm going <laughs> to say here, you know? I, I can't just leave this thing. I can't just leave it as some pile of whatever on the, on the table. I have to say something to wrap this up. <laughs> so whether you're going to go back is an important factor. What role you play in the what organization? Are you a, an executive there? Are you a team leader, a direct supervisor? All those things they do. Go, go into factoring how do I, what am I doing here? What's my purpose? Absolutely. And what, how, what am I going to do at the end? What am I going to do at the end? Yes. And I guess the executives are the ones that can cause the most harm, right? Yep. And have to be the most careful about That's saying. right. That's right. Well, and uh, in, in some ways, I'll, I'll use myself as an example, by knowing a little bit about Starbucks work, going across the street to the store that you know I've only been to as a customer, but if I were to stand there and observe work for an hour, by knowing a little bit, uh, it would make it easier for me to be more judgmental than if I didn't know anything at all. Yes. And so in some ways, that makes executives yes. fairly dangerous. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so that was fun yes. at the beginning. We started doing these go-see, Gemma go-sees at Starbucks, these executives who go see a store every day. Yes. So they know, so it was like, what are we, why, you know, I don't need to do some kind of go see at stores. That's what I do. I'm a professional at it. Yes. But how to do it with different eyes, you know, looking at it from the customer's perspective, from the worker perspective, from, from what have you. And, from the and, work. And objectively without, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without just looking for the solution. Yes. For something that you think needs to be there. Yes. That was a lot of fun. That was. Learning to do that. Yes. That wasn't so easy. So then Scott ended up going to, to a store in California to work for a while, just to really get to know the work deeply. So early in, my, early in my learning, I, I, I think you heard me tell uh, this morning, uh, I told John, I just, I, our stores are pretty good. Single piece flow. I thought I understood all these terms. Um, standard work. We don't make one until someone orders it. What can the problem be? And it turns out, um, John introduced me to someone who taught me and us as a company to look at work in great detail. Left hand, right hand, I mean really deep detail, uh, which takes... It's a skill, it takes time to learn, um, but it also takes time. And uh, after I started learning that, uh, soon after, John, in every conversation, would continue to urge me, you need to go have your own experience at the Gimbo. So I arranged for a two-week experiment, very purposeful. I had an A3 for it at a store in California. And that, for me personally, was an incredible, even though I was developing people, the store manager and the district manager, it was an incredible learning experience. Probably the most profound learning experience I've ever had. Yes, in the back. And John, I, I need to repeat the questions just for the audience. Okay, yes. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm 
work in HR, and we have, I coach management who has people that, that are, one, located across the globe, so it has to be virtual, and two, they do things such as employee relations, consulting, project management. So I encourage them to Gemba, and I, I tell them to do ask some of the questions you mentioned earlier. How's your day going? What are your customers saying? But what advice would you have for me when I'm getting them to go to the Gemba? What could they do to be more because they're using WebEx with video, so they see the people. Wow. So the question is, in a virtual world, and in a virtual, specifically a, 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 a virtual environment, what advice or suggestions do we have to help coach others on how to be better at visiting the Gemba, at, at observing, and then deciding what to do with that? Is that right? Did I get that right? They're, they're actually watching work through WebEx. Are they watching the work? Well, or are they talking to people about the work? About the work. In some situations, they can watch, but it's a little hairy. Uh. Mostly, you know, if, if it's a project manager, they can watch and watch how they're running the meeting. But if it's an employee relations consultant, it's it's more about how was your day, and how are things going, not actually watch. Right. Uh huh. What do you think? Huh? So I, I guess my my first sense is. <laughs> My first sense is I, I learned early on there's a very, usually there's a pretty big difference between what I think is happening and what is actually happening. And so to talk about the work that we think is happening is um, insufficient, I guess I would say. I don't know if that's the right word, but insufficient. It's not a good substitute. I'll say that. And so then the question is, can you virtually together actually watch the work? That may be very difficult. Um, and so if the purpose, this gets back to purpose. What is your purpose? Is to help that individual that you're trying to coach learn how to do this. Then maybe there's some kind of activity that they could do on their own. And then you guys could, and you could do it. And then you could get back together and talk about what, what, what did we observe? And we could reflect on that observation, and then we could interpret those observations, as John talked about. And then you can decide what to do with that interpretation. Um, in general, I think it's, it's hard to, uh, has everyone heard of Ono's Circle? Yeah. So uh, you, know, you can see a lot in a short period of time, but generally it takes a fairly long time, I've observed, I feel, to, to really see everything and to have a good sense. And so I just, I don't know, it's maybe the learning that I've had from John and people he's introduced me to, there's just no substitute for it. And I found at Starbucks, I was, you know, I went from spending 98% of my time in the headquarters to spending as much as I could get away with <laughs> in stores in the field. And I found in, in the corporate environment that actually uh, I had insights that the supposed professional operators didn't actually have. I had observations about what was really going on as opposed to what we thought might be going on. So I don't know. 
Do you have any additions to that? Yeah, I, I, I just so I would forget. I had a flash of three things to say, so I just grabbed this to so I would forget. <laughs> I forget nowadays more. But I think the first and purpose, so purpose is a big word too, you know. And so I, one of the things I, I, I learned to Perfect. try to do when I can is to turn something in, like it into a problem I can solve. And that forces me to get a little specific about it, which I think goes in the direction of what, what, what Scott was saying. What, got, what could I maybe help someone do or to yeah. learn? And so I would really, I would want to break it down and say, how many people are you talking about? Uh, what kind of things do I actually need them to do? What are they do, doing? You know, what kind of gaps are there? Uh, and then see from there what kind of experiments they might be able to run or model lines to create, which might mean one or two people. Right, so it's maybe there's a large number of people you're talking about, and they're all over the world. So to try to fix all that at once is just, but grab some, you know, find a couple of uh, people that seem to would, who would really appreciate this learning, and go down a journey with them, and then bring other people along is one thought. Uh, another is this recognition that uh, Scott also mentioned: the work is just almost always different than what we think, and I think we heard a great example of that this afternoon. Uh, that I think we could even all use. It's always good to have little specific examples of that uh, in our quiver to help when we're having conversations. But the one of, um, of, of the medical director uh, at the U.S. University of California, San mm -hmm. Francisco, Zuckerberg, uh, and how what they thought was happening with the rooms and what was really happening wasn't the same. And these are two people, you know, that's an easier environment in a way. They're all in one place. It's right there. And these are people that look at the rooms. They know what's going on, and they still didn't know what was going on. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's a, another great example. Related, the third thing, I guess, was um, this came up yesterday in the, uh, unfortunately, it's concurrent with this one, but the, uh, I hope some of you saw the, what do they call it, Lean IQ, the GE Appliances Lean mm. Leaders Lean IQ session. Um, and they're creating uh, what they what what uh, Rich there started to do is create experiences for executives in the factory in their case the factory uh, either four weeks or one week depending uh, and if it's a supportive uh, function like HR or quality it's one week uh, I guess some great stories though about how having HR uh, 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 executives or, or managers spend a week there. Uh, and the learning that they had from really getting that close to the work. But the, the striking thing of that was yesterday, and, and, and in this context, is that these HR people weren't bad HR people. They were very in, full of empathy for the work that was taking place. They're, they're fighting the, the, the proper HR battle on behalf of the workers, the workforce. They still had epiphanies and, and understood after really touching the work that closely that they were just clueless a week before. Um, and, it, and, it, and if you need some, uh, some uh, academic you know, fodder to go with that, this professor at Stanford named Sutton, Bob Sutton, um, and others who've written about and study and talk about what they call the, the knowing versus doing gap. So it's nice that it's nice simple words. We like simple words. Um, and, that it, and how profound it is that we can know something. We, we, so we're so smart nowadays. We get so much information that everything, it's so easy to trivialize anything. And these people you're talking about are smart. They know the business, you know, and, and, and it it's, it's just uh, speaks to the power of experiential learning, of actually, you know, getting your hands, uh, hands mm -hmm. dirty. Yeah. So there's three little uh, hints for you for your, for your complex, uh, complex problem. Yes, sir. I actually have two questions. First one is, do you see a difference 
between the two terms of Gemba walk and going to the Gemba? Is that different? <coughs> Yeah, so Gemba walk and going to the Gemba are those two different things. Oh boy, I don't know. We make all these terms up, and Gemba walk to some degree came from our our, our founder Lei uh, Jim Womack talks about Gemba walks. Written books called Gemba walks, and I've never really made a big distinction, but I guess kind of you could. I guess you could think of a Gemba walk as where you're going and you're going to spend a certain amount of time and observe, and then have some debrief or some conversation. Whereas I suppose any time we go to the Gemba. You're going to the Gemba. Maybe it's to fix something. But uh, I've never really made a distinction between the two. I can see how, I can see how you could. You know, one thing that, that occurs to me, that you mentioned that. This morning we were talking, if I could, hmm? we were talking about, uh, with Mr. Yoshino, we were talking about Numi. And I didn't give a lot of background about that this morning just because but I don't know. How many of you are pretty familiar with the story of Numi, the Toyota joint venture with General Motors? How many of you are really not very familiar at all? And that's... It's okay. So it's a fair number. So um, it was in the early 80s, and Toyota wasn't, wasn't building cars in the States, and the threat of Japanese manufacturing and industrial managerial might was just uh, creating fear all over the U.S. Um, and there were a lot of, you know, there was protectionism that was, a, that was, that was taking place. We don't want more imports. Um, and Toyota had never built cars outside, uh, outside Japan, and so in that context, they decided to make this joint venture with General Motors, building cars together in, um, in, in, in California. So how's this going to go? No one, no, no one knew. And it was a 50-50 joint venture. So with that quick, con uh, one more thing about the quick context, it was the worst factory in the world, and in one year it became the best factory in the world with the same workforce. So I have no patience for people to talk about, you know, you know, workers and the workers being the problem and we just need a new workforce and I need a new team members. I, 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 what I've seen is that if we, I don't, I don't, buy, I don't buy that. Because these were the work for, worst, worst workers uh, and they became great workforce in just a one year with a different system, with a different structure. Um, so one interesting thing was we had General Motors, you had, okay, half General Motors managers in the factory half Toyota managers. And we're going to, you know, so then you have a Gemba out there. And so where do you think the General Motors managers were in the course of a day? Where do you think the Toyota managers were in the course of a day? <laughs> so this is one of those questions, it seems like a trick question. Actually, no. So we thought that the GM managers are going to stay in their office, they won't go to the floor. So we're saying, got to go to the floor, got to go to the Gimba, go to the Gimba. Turns out the GM managers were out at the Gimba on the floor more than the Toyota managers. <laughs> Man bites dog kind of story, right? Question is, what were they doing when they were out there? It goes back to that purpose question. What were they doing? They were out there to fix stuff, pat people on the back, to cause problems. <laughs> And they loved not being in the office. Actually, you know, we had it all wrong. No, they loved it. You know, they're manufacturing people, engineering degree or what have you. They loved being out there, kicking stuff, talking, talking to people. The Toyota managers, if they didn't have a specific reason to be out there, now they would go out and maybe they maybe go do a gimbal walk occasionally. Uh, okay, kind of on a cadence. Maybe every morning they go by. They start by walking the whole floor. My old boss, Mr. Cho, we talked about would do that every morning. He'd get to work uh, early before he would go to his office. When he was the president of the Georgetown Camry plant, 
Every morning before he'd go to the office for all his meetings, what have you, he would walk the floor every morning. With a specific purpose? With the purpose of knowing how things are going and also to see what's really happening. So when he had meetings throughout the day yes. with different, different managers, <laughs> he'd been out there to see what was really happening. Yes. <laughs> so, but he had a purpose that, that he was going for. But other than that, other than and, and going out then for a specific thing, to fix something or what have you, they weren't out there just, you know, they, they were where you could find them. They were at their desk, so you knew where to find them. So if you had a problem, you knew where they were. So it really is. Uh, our good friend at the University of Michigan Health System, uh, Jack Billy, uh, often says, I don't know if you've heard him say it, but that, you know, back to the superhero thing, he said, everyone loves the firefighter. So why are we all firefighters is one reason. It's because you get a lot of kudos for that. You know, love it, feels good to be here. And he, but he, we all know that. He follows it up with the observation that no one likes the fire marshal. We hate the fire marshal. Hmm. The person who comes in with all these rules. You know, and the benefits of the fire marshal, you don't see them right away because it's in things that don't happen. The fire that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. You don't get the same praise for that. And so, in that sense, they were being more like the fire marshal. They were sitting there waiting for someone to come to them when they needed something. So, again, it's just something that, that, that came to mind, relates a little bit maybe to, to, your, to your questions. So the issue of how you go to the Gimbal, why do you go to the Gimbal, what you do when, you, when you're there is more important. I guess when, when folks started using the word Gimbal and Gimbal walk, going to the Gimbal, go see, I always made a presumption that we understood what we meant by that, that it was just shorthand using the word Gimba. But it turns out we need to be more explicit, I think, about yes. it. Doesn't mean just, doesn't mean just, it doesn't mean management by walking around, which was a phrase back in the 80s. Right. It means going there with a with the, with the reason. You had a but, second question. Yeah, do you find that there's a, uh, a limit to the amount of people that should be Ah, group size. Oh, gosh. How do, how do we uh, think about group size? Some Gimba walks are already about 15, 16. Wow. Yeah. You know, I hate it. I get right. You know, you know, it's a, it's a complex world, and people do things for certain reasons. And I can kind of understand it. You want a lot of people to be there, and I've seen organizations that could pull that off, okay. Uh, but man, I hate it. I, I hate it. And and so, uh, I, I, smaller the better for me. And then you fan out. You need to communicate out, right? What's being discovered and all that. But uh, I don't. I can't give you a magic number. But I guess that's the right question. What's the right number? Is the question right? <laughs> when it gets too big. So, then uh, you have all these disadvantages. Well, and often, you know, depending on the space, just there's not enough space for all those people. Um, and there, there's different ways to get to smaller group sizes, but still then you're talking about more of a show, maybe. And it, so it, again, depends on purpose, Than a right? discovery, yes. It depends on purpose, That's right? right? So if you really go in there and discover how things are really happening, you're not going to find that out with a group of, you know, 20 no. people wearing suits tra traipsing through. It's, yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. Over there was... Yes. So, uh, I work in an organization that's just starting to utilize Gemba. How do you get people that they're going to get used to the idea of management on the floor? How do you prepare the people for this activity? The people on the floor. Right. That, going, that are going to be observed. So, what, what uh, communication, what preparedness is required for the people knowing that there are going to be people, management, coming in to observe? You had to deal with that. Yeah, we would never send a team to a store without communicating to the store. And uh, we also um, had kind of standard work around preparing any team, especially if they hadn't been working with us for a bit, preparing them on how behaviors that they should exhibit or not exhibit when they go to a store. Um, so things like 
uh, as we've talked about here, the, the purpose <laughs> is really about learning, not about judging. It's super easy for people in a corporate environment who think they know all the standards, many of which, by the way, are kind of conflicting. Make all the drinks, but never turn your back to the customer, as an example. Well, that's great, but the Frappuccino line is back there. How do you want me to get back there and make the drink? Like, and <laughs> not turn my back. I have to become a crap. You, you, you get dinged one way or the other, Yes, right? you will. It's a, it's a no-win situation. And we actually, it turned out, as we, we dug into the work, into standards uh, and policies, that there are a lot of those. Um, so we are here to observe and to actually learn from you because you know the work. So there's an opportunity, I think, to elevate the value-creating moments in your firm, which for Starbucks is when they actually make the beverages and serve the food. Uh, but also to teach the people that are going to the stores, educate them a little bit. You know, These little side conversations with whispering and little pointing, that's not helpful. <laughs> it's not respectful. We have to, when we show up, we have to show up with respect. These are the people that are creating the value. We're here because they're creating value for our customers. And if we're not communicating that verbally and in all of our nonverbal cues, then that is going to create a problem. Well, the other thing I would add is, is for all this stuff, I'm a, fan, I'm a big fan of starting slow, starting mm -hmm. small, I should say. So if I had a question like that in my mind, I would say, Let, let's practice something real small. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, with a couple of execs and some, and some fairly safe or secure, you know, area and, and let's try that and see what Thank kind you. of commu communication we think we need and kind of and then go out and go from and go from there spread out from there for almost all this because it is different in every environment Starbucks is going to be different from a from a, a hospital mm. um, from a large factory so let's start small and, and ask that question and then try something and then and then get reflection right from the people in the at the floor and the people that went and you know how did that feel what do you think what could we do differently Small, all, make it small all experiments before we get bigger is generally a pretty good Make it all principle. learning experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any suggestions for uh, going and seeing when you're in an office and working on a computer all day? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so anybody think? So the question is, how do, we, how do we go and see when people are just working on computers? Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard, right? So the, the challenge, what's the challenge with that environment? It's knowledge work. So, so in this environment, we, there's still a lot to know and learn, but we, we, we know enough that we can say this person's scooping rice into this bowl, but in the knowledge work environment, that's much harder to see. And so what might be a way that we could change that? So the question is, how do we make that work, I think, visible? How do we make that work visible? How do we work with the people doing that work to make that work visible? So, so the big, you know, work is, is, so that work is invisible. That's the hard thing about it. And two things about it. There's only two, th only two differences between that and this. And one is it's more invisible, less visible. And number two, it's even more variable. Perhaps. But the thing is, even in a factory, uh, there are things that you can't figure, that are, there's actually a lot of variation there. Uh, and even in a factory, helping ourselves see better is, is, is critical. So is there anything? What can we do to make it a little more visible, right? Uh, and then uh, as we get a handle on that, then to understand the variation of work that someone does. And there's where, for example, all these post-its here, 
uh, the work Jim Benson has done, you know, or others trying to, you know, be able to put the work up on boards and not do that in a way, though, that it just feels like more added burden. What does that do for me? So again, kind of experimenting your way there with the, with the culture of those people. But the benefits, once you can get it out of people's heads so you can see it, are great. And, and I don't think there's any case where people would say that it's not once they've been through it. But getting started is kind of the hardest part. So start small, find some people. <laughs> For me, that was another big learning, actually. If I, going back, Numi was a big learning, Starbucks. In uh, the early 90s, I got transferred from Japan to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where there is a technical center. And people were doing knowledge work, development work. Uh, and that was a shock for me, actually, to see that, you know, I can't, I, 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 you know, I had no clue what was going on, and then I had no clue how do you try to make this better. Um, but trying to make it visible in some way, getting stuff up on walls, getting huddles so people talk about, share what they're doing. Because you still want to, the problem is still matching capacity and demand. And if people recognize that the reason they're overburdened is because we don't know capacity versus demand then they can maybe participate in helping make their capacity known so we can make better decisions about how to use capacity. Easy to say, not easy to do, but I, mean, I think those are the only things we can do. Mm -hmm. So we have about 10 minutes left. I don't know if we feel now is a good time to, we've covered actually, most of it. Yeah, we covered it. So we, we put this together about an hour ago. Thought. Uh, <laughs> And it actually kind of came out. I think this. I think this is a decent little guide. We could print this out as a card. No, we're not going to make a card. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the most basic purpose is, first is do no harm. Uh, you got, we have to know our role. I think you're not going to fix or teach necessarily. You might sometimes, right? If you def if you define that as a purpose, uh, but you want to learn how you may be able to help. And then you can't help unless you understand that. You, so we need to grasp the situation. That's the lean language that we use, right? And you need to understand technically and socially. I like to kind of start understanding technically, but you need to end up understanding socially as well, or maybe, you know, you, know, you, you need both. It is not a full picture until you know both. Uh, and then after understanding, figure out whether or not they understand. And often, again, they don't. You know, if someone doesn't know what a more structured environment for their work is, they, they won't know exactly what some of the problems or opportunities that they have. Uh, then start thinking about how you might coach. Then I can start to think about it, okay? Okay, here's what I think the real problem is. Here's where they are and their awareness. Now I can think about what is a coach I might try to do. Um, and then this thing, again, maybe it's more, I, I consider deeply how to, how to leave, how to depart. What? <laughs> so, so one thing we like to do, we love, so lean folks, like what I learned, again, 20, what I mentioned before from my boss at TSSC, you always leave homework, and that becomes a test. You leave behind, okay, here's something you need to do. may not even explain really why. It's just, okay, you know, do this. Work on changeover on that machine. <laughs> and then call me up when you've done it, and maybe I'll come again. So you leave some homework. <laughs> and that's different from advice per se. Advice per se could be that, you know, you need to reduce batch sizes to do that. You'll need to, uh, whatever it may be. The Zen stick, somebody here knows what a Zen stick is, right? So it's a literal thing, it's a literal thing, but also it's a figurative thing for how you can give somebody that, that, that insight, right? And we've all done that sometimes with someone that we mentor, teach, or we've had it happen to us where, where you know, someone just says something to you and you go, you know, I can't believe I didn't get that before. So that's <laughs> the kind of insider question. So it's nice when you can do that. And a lot of folks who do the, 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 the lean teaching and faculty thing, they, they like to give a lot of stories of where they've done that, where they walk in. <laughs> oh, I walked in and the factory manager was saying this, and I said, oh, 
and I got them. <laughs> We're not trying to do that. Uh, but we are, would like to have like a question or insight. So sometimes any of these or other things may fit. But how you leave, you don't want to, you know, how, 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 how do you leave in a way that's effective so it wasn't a waste of their time um, and can somehow be useful for them? How can you leave in a way that would be useful? Maybe it's a comment, maybe it's a story, maybe it's some, some advice. But that's going to depend on how I sized up, you know, what's going on there, where, where their understanding is versus the, versus the situation. Like if I saw Amanda in, this, in the, in the co-op and she's got a totally unstructured environment and could benefit so much from, 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 from some method, from methodology. If she realized that and started asking those questions, I'd give some direct advice. But without asking, I'm hes I'm, at least me, I'm hesitant to start giving a bunch of advice unless I really realize that they, they want it and kind of at least, if not ask for it, at least hint that they would, that they would like to have it. And, and I don't use, it doesn't come up here, but I don't use any lean terminology until they use it first. If they never use any lean terminology, I'm not going to use a single one. I'm not going to talk about Kanban's or Obeya or Hoshin or anything. Um, and if they do, then okay, we're off and running, then we'll go with that. But I don't, I don't introduce anything like that. I'm going to use either just completely common language or language that I can detect is, is native there, language that they're, I'll try to use their language. That's what I, that's what I do anyway. And yes, CJ. So that's what I wanted to comment on, is I ask people in Starbucks, oh, do you do me? They have no idea what I'm talking about. And I love that part. I love that yeah, well, that could be good and bad, but it <laughs> depends on what's behind that. But we were very um, deliberate in trying to understand terminology that would not get in the way and would resonate and kind of get people excited. And so, for the most part, we we tried to stay away from all lean terminology. Well, so I'm not there anymore, but. Uh, we, we talked about it as a lean program, but for example, uh, we did not call um, work standardized work. We called them repeatable routines as a small example. But just to emphasize what John's saying, a big part, I think, of this last question is that, that situation. You know, are, are you coming back? What role do you play in the organization? Um, I can tell you my experience with John um, so often what I find him doing with me, it doesn't occur to me often until months or years later, is just getting me to think. And just today, when we were putting this together, the, the thing he got me to think about, whether he was purposeful in it or not, was what is my own kind of um, internal or personal PDCA process for experimenting with this kind of last step what are the, you know, how can I experiment with different techniques in different situations and how can I document that and how can I learn for myself what is effective for me? Because I'm not him. I, I wish I could be him, but I am not him. And, uh, and so, you know, so much of this is about uh, organizational, but also at the end of the day, individual learning. I think that's great. I really do. And I think it is about that. And I think that's what keeps you going with this more than anything else, yes. that, that, that it's individual learning. Yes. And, and so the idea of being intentional of how I can do some of these better, you'll get, you, so that way you will get much better at this, especially this last part than, than, than me. Uh, I've, I've uh, worked, 
again, I work on it a lot, I think, about this. But I bet um, with uh, how many people we got in the room, Tabitha? Seventy people. If we were all thinking about, you know, some of these things and working on some PDCA of how to get better at it, you, you know, you, you, we could really take the practice of uh, lean coaching a, a lot further, a lot That's further right. than That's I right. will be able to. Well, and I think about that mountain climber picture that we've seen a couple times, certainly today. Sure, we're trying to make things better. We're trying to solve problems. Yes, no question. But how do we bring people along that path with us as we do that? Thank you, everyone, for coming. We really appreciate you having here, and hopefully it was okay. Thank you. If you have a show idea, feedback, or a question you'd like to ask someone in the Lean community, send that into pod, P-O-D, at lean.org. Once again, that's pod at lean.org. Thanks for listening.